Hey TSL fam, we're so excited to finally bring you our live panel sessions from the San Luis Obispo Film Festival, otherwise known as the Slow Film Festival. Thank you so much to Randy, Grace, and um, Sky for helping coordinate this. Um, this first broadcast is our story workshop that we've done before. If you've listened to our live Austin episode, you've heard it there, or our workshop to your patrons have heard this before. And I'd encourage you to really take it all in. As I always say, hearing Megan Lorraine workshop other people's stories is always a brilliant way to shed light on our own. So this was an amazing panel. Thank you to everyone at Slow. Thanks for the great questions and buckle up for a great episode. Hi, you guys. Hi there. It is awkward to use the mics, but I guess because they're recording this for the podcast, we have to. But. Before we dive in just logistically, did... Do you all know what is happening during this panel? Just want to make sure. So, Could someone tell me? <laughs> one thing our show has kind of grown is this story workshop that we love to conduct, which is a chance for you all to come up. And we use the word pitch, but it's really share a story that you're working on with us. And we would love to work with you to kind of help workshop that story and figure out what's really working and maybe make some suggestions to really get you toward, I think, the story your heart wants to tell. So if you're interested in coming up to, quote, pitch to us... Um, please sign a release form. Did, did anyone who wants to pitch, can you raise your hand if you signed a release form? Great, awesome. I will collect those now, and Megan Lauren can introduce the show, if that works, unless I just kind of did. All right, so the way it'll work is um, we will randomly draw from the stack of releases, and if your name is picked, you will come up and join us by sitting in this chair and just share your story. There's no right or wrong way to do it. This is a safe place. And yeah, it's not about pitching. This isn't a pitch workshop. This is literally a story workshop. So we're going to ask you questions and hopefully inspire you of what to do next with your story. Yeah, we're not giving you negative feedback or criticism. We're going to be asking questions. Um, okay, I'm going to randomly draw. Can I hand you my mic? Is that okay? Alessandra Garpinet. It's fun. We're very nice. Let's hear it for Alessandra. Thanks for going. Sure, thank you. Um, so so let, go ahead. Yep. Have you heard us do this before? I so, have not. Okay. So just to help all of us know um, the sandbox you're in, movie or TV? Movie. Movie. Okay. And is there a genre you want us to tell us or no? Um, so I guess I'm just going to go off of a short that I had in the Cal Poly Shortcuts um, event on Thursday. So it's a short currently, and I guess I could explore making it a feature. Okay. Um, so genre coming of age. Okay. okay. <laughs> do you want to just, do you want to tell us, um, so have you worked out anything about how to make it a feature or is it more about just telling us this short and having that conversation? Yes, that would be wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so you want to tell us the basic story of the short? Yes. Okay, so it's a coming of age between these two kids in foster in foster care who live in two group homes across the street from each other. And the main character is a 17-year-old girl, Mari. Um, she, oh man, okay, so she her goal is she wants to leave the state for the very first time. They live in Nevada, and she's never, ever left. And she collects keychains from all of her friends and people in her life that have left the state or even left the country. And so that's her big goal. And then there's this other boy who's 10 years old across the street named August who gets bullied all the time. He doesn't have really anyone that comes and visits him. And 
he really relies on Mari. Like, so he, if Mari left, he would be devastated. He'd feel like he had no one. And so it's basically this boxing match of her wanting to leave and he keeps getting into trouble. And so she's like, oh, I got to stay and take care of this kid. Um, and then eventually they road trip and make their way to California for the first time. And where does the short end? Like on... When the short... Where does the story end in the short version that you have? Yes. Okay. So the story ends with she gets her keychain. He, I forgot to mention, is really into sharks and has this fake shark tooth necklace that he made out of like a rock kind of. So she gets her keychain. He gets his necklace. And then they see the beach in California for the first time. All right. Lovely. Thank you. Why does she want to leave Nevada? Yes. So she, her situation is her birth mom had to give her up because of struggles with drug addiction. And um, that's kind of what she's always held on to is like, well, my mom couldn't take care of me. My mom couldn't take care of me. Like, that's okay. Like I can get over that. Like not everyone can, can. And then her mom at one point in the movie comes to visit her and has a newborn baby. Um, And so that's what spurs her to be like that's it I'm doing it like I'm going to do something for myself I'm gonna I guess maybe get a get away from it all yeah so she sees so her mom comes with this baby so this narrative she's been telling herself which is that my mom can't be a mother and I can accept that Mm -hmm. but then she sees her mom being a mother Mm -hmm. and you said that spurs her into Mm -hmm. doing something for herself but what does it really make her feel okay Yeah, um, I think it makes her feel like, why not me? Like, she wasn't good enough to be the baby that the mom kept and took care of. And so I guess she wanted to do something that made her feel able and good enough. So do something that she'd seen so many other people do, which was go on a trip and bring back this memento. And so I think this was her wanting to do that for herself to kind of give herself some worth, I guess. Value, to value value. herself. Yes. And do you think in the feature version is the main relationship with, so they go on the road trip together. August, is his name August? Yes. Sorry, August and her go on the road trip together. Yes. He, it was not the original plan how it happens in the short. She's about to go by herself and August Obviously, he can't deal with that. He's like, no way you're leaving me. Like, you're my only, like, person here. And so he uh, jumps in the car with her and, like, figures out when she's leaving. And So she doesn't want him along with her, but he ends up on the, on the road right. trip. Right, and he ends up having some money that he gets from some relative that sends it to him on birthdays. And so she's like, okay. I so need she needs him. Money. She needs yeah. his money, <laughs> which is good. So there's a handcuff of sorts. Right. Right? She needs his money, and he needs her because he must also want to go. Do you see the feature as a road trip movie? Originally, when I was writing the short, it had a lot. It was largely a road trip. So I think I could have a lot of ideas for making it a road trip movie. Um, but obviously, that didn't work super well for like the 15 minutes right. of just them driving the whole time. Um, but it could be, definitely. So for the feature, of course, she's going to have to have an arc of yes. some kind, right? So, And I'm sure even in the short, she does. Um what for you when she gets to California, how has she changed or what has she realized about herself or what's the, when she's looking at that ocean and she's got that keychain, mm-hmm. what for you is that moment for her character? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ideally, uh, or what uh, was also trying to be the goal in the short as well was that 
She sees August being a little more independent along this journey. And when he finally gets his own, like purchases his own shark tooth as well. So it's her realizing that, um, yes, she does have somewhat of a responsibility for him because they just do have this bond, but he will eventually be okay. And she will be able to go out and live her own life and not have have to take on all the responsibilities of being his like caretaker or older sister. So I think it's maybe an interesting parallel between her feeling a responsibility towards a child and then her mother not feeling a responsibility towards a yeah, child. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it sounds so interesting that you're really digging into motherhood. Mm-hmm. I understand that she's an older sister figure. Right. But in essence, she's mothering this boy. Right. And it's going to be very interesting to use their relationship on the road because, of course, at the end of Act 1, they're going to be on the road, right? right? So her shift, her insights into herself, into mothering, is going to all happen with him on the road in those events, mm-hmm. right? So, But it's so interesting to dig into your insight into mothering or and, and from him being mothered, Mm-hmm. And what you say is that he's going to, she's going to realize, oh, he'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's something underneath there mm-hmm. that's a little bit more vulnerable right. for her. Because your answer about what's happening for her is she's really something about him. Right. Which means in my head, oh, there's a juicy bit there that your brain bopped away from mm-hmm. about her. <laughs> okay. That that's actually where the juice is probably sitting Okay. The lava, as we say on the podcast, okay. the 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 vulnerability for you, because mm-hmm. um, to certainly, I think it's very emotional to have a character who doesn't feel wanted, and they're trying to prove their worth, and yet they're having to mother, the same way their mother chose not. It's very, it's very juicy stuff going mm-hmm. on. Um, <laughs> you know, I think in terms of marketing, or not marketing, but producing outside, sure. you know, I would. Try to find a metaphor or an event or something about this road trip that digs into that vulnerability and that emotional lava and yet also is some sort of hook for the movie, is some sort of metaphor for the movie, meaning road trip coming of age, people are going to be like, seeing it. It could be a great writing sample, by the way. It could get you staffed. Sure. (laughs) I'm not saying don't do it. Sure. For sure, do it. (laughs) Okay. Right? I have tons of stuff I got tons of movies off of, including getting to write for Captain Marvel, and those things have not been made. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, right, there's scripts serve different functions. Okay. Um, But in terms of just now talking larger, Mm -hmm. you know, like I kind of, like when I say, you know, The Wizard of Oz is the Yellow Brick Road is the movie. That's the movie, right? Right. Because that's the second act. It's funny. If you ask people to pitch The Yellow Brick Road, they kind of stop when she starts. And you're like, but that's not the movie. The (laughs) movie is, I have to go on this road. There's a witch chasing me. And I'm going to meet three people who also come along with me. Like, it's starting to find its story legs, right? Um, So that's where I would would dive into for you, if if you're going to make this into a feature, that emotional vulnerable side of her, mm-hmm. which you can just do writing scenes or just start writing it. Puke mm-hmm. draft is, which we say on our podcast, puke draft, just puke it out <laughs> and see what comes up. But also as you're puking it out, if you find any little sparkle of, oh my God, that's a great metaphor mm-hmm. for her unconscious thing. And I haven't seen that in a road trip movie before. Like just write that down, grab on to that. What is the short called? August. 
<laughs> so it's his name. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Are you sure August isn't the main character? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It's, I think I just, when I titled it, it wasn't, there wasn't an, a, a boatload of thought put into the title. I definitely tried working on brainstorming different titles when we started to, like, start producing it, but it just kind of stuck. So it's curious <laughs> that you chose his name, though, instead of her name. There's two pretty solid options, and you pitched us that she was the main character. Yes. <laughs> and he's the one searching for a mother, which yes. is, or a sister, which I feel at its core is a little more emotional rather than I'm responding to, mm-hmm. because the, even when you talked to me about it, I didn't quite get it emotionally. Like, okay. I'm, I accept my mother for not being able to take care of me. Mm-hmm. As a teenage girl who's in foster care, mm-hmm. that seems, as someone who's unmothered, yep. right, to just, but, but there's something under that, right? Why? Is that a defense mechanism? Mm-hmm. Like, is it really acceptance or is it, I'm going to pretend this doesn't bother me? Right. You know, so digging into that kind of stuff, I think that just asking yourself over and over again, why? Okay. Why does she accept her mother, mm-hmm. you know, and then why and why? Um, and you can have dual protagonists, right? <clears throat> they can be from both of their points of view. Um, you might want to, as a writing exercise, just take a couple of days and in treatment form or not, don't even worry about script form, write it from his point of view. Okay. And if that makes you scared, I for sure want you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Anytime you think of a writing exercise and your brain goes, absolutely not. You absolutely have to do Mike's it. Mike's done it to me a lot. And there's it's something terrible and it works. There's something right <laughs> under there that your brain's very frightened of. And I'm not saying that is you, but if something sure. comes up while you're writing and puking that out and it makes you sweat, mm-hmm. oh, because you're right on it. One of your August is looking for a mother. Mm-hmm. And Mari is looking to reject mm-hmm. her mother. So which one, you know, it's a great pairing. Like mm-hmm. you've set up a lot of drama there and conflict. But emo- just emotionally, I'm like, oh, I, I am looking for a mother too, right? Even, even as a grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that um, just, yeah, digging into that, I think. Okay. And there's classic, classic movies, which I, I think it's interesting that you're not doing this, that you're switching it, of that kind of hardened male, be he an assassin or a, you know, a, a man child or a, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank who suddenly gets stuck with a kid. Right. And they have to kind of paper open moon. their heart. Paper moon. Like, I mean, there's a mil- <laughs> it's its own genre. Sure. You're making it a teenage girl, which is interesting, right? You're switching it up. So there's a template for you to follow in terms of what is this? You could watch all those movies. There's okay. a template under it, I promise, in terms mm-hmm. of story math. But then you're going to twist it. Mm-hmm. You're going to go deeper. You're going to see an angle that's from a specifically female teenage girl point of view. But I'm just saying in terms of getting your drafts going, yes. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Okay. That template exists in the world. So just as a writing exercise, figure out what the template is mm-hmm. so that you have these posts that you're writing towards. Okay. But then let her start breaking the posts or surprising us or... You know, so because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're trying to go, especially from a short to a feature, it can be overwhelming. Right. Or you so know the short in this specific way. Mm-hmm. That if you can find that template underneath that eventually will disappear, eventually you'll change it. Right. But it's just a way to get going. Mm-hmm. Right. So it doesn't seem so overwhelming because he 
we meet him and, and he does, and I'm going to say he because these movies are all about men, right. <laughs> and he does something to show us his hard heart and his vulnerable underside that he will not show. And then he meets the kid. Mm -hmm. And then he's forced to take the kid. And then they have a road trip or whatever they do. And in that road trip, look and see how that template cracks that person, right? Mm -hmm. And then, oh, look, shift. Again, I'm not trying to make it cookie cutter. I'm just sure. saying as you're starting to just, it's a good way to start right. so that you don't feel overwhelmed and wandering around, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of a combo platter that I do as a writer. I will do what we call on the podcast a barf draft. Like just, I don't even worry about it. Mm -hmm. I know I want to start here and I want them to end here and I just write whatever comes out. And that's trying to get up all that beautiful human clay that you have that you're not putting any restrictions on her. You can change in the middle who the main character is. Mm -hmm. A bus driver can come in and suddenly they're the main character. And you Great. don't go back and rewrite. No, you just keep writing forward. It doesn't okay. have to link up, right? It can completely shift and change. <laughs> it can be 200 pages. It doesn't matter. And then I also will do that more analytical work of looking for templates mm -hmm. to try to help my brain see, oh, there, there are... This is a genre you're talking about. It's a specific coming-of-age story right. that exists, which is the cynic who <clears throat> takes on the naive romantic, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, cynics are broken-hearted romantics. So it's about that cynic going back to their heart, right? Mm -hmm. Again, I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to find something unique, which is from that vomit, right? <laughs> but uh, those two things can help you start to have a three-act movie, too, because you right. know it as a single act right. or even a moment, mm -hmm. those templates can help your brain start to see, oh, wow, this could go for three acts, which is half the battle from a short to a feature. Okay. Yeah. I think when you're looking at developing this to a feature, like what is the very specific goal they mm -hmm. set out for on at the beginning of Act 2? Not just get to California, but find my mom and tell her I think she's a piece of crap or, okay. <laughs> you know... Uh, yeah, like in The Sure Thing, which is, I know, a whole movie and probably now nothing we could ever watch because it's probably sexist. But, <laughs> you know, he's going to a party and he knows the party, he knows the girl he's going to see, and he knows what's going to happen, right? She's going to see her boyfriend who, like, it's very specific so that when you get there, everything that we've been told it's going to be, it, they see it in a completely different way okay. because they've changed. They've learned something, which is the theme. <laughs> yeah, whatever they, you know, how they've changed now. So it's fun because it sets up for the audience this expectation of what it's going to be like. And oddly, they get exactly that expectation, but because they've changed, it's, it's, they perceive it completely differently. Or they get more than they ever could have imagined because this doesn't even matter. This matters. This is what matters. Right. So um, at the end of the movie, this feature okay. that you've written... How do you want the audience to feel when they walk out of the theater? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I guess feeling the feeling that let's start out really cheesy. Um, feeling that you can find connection even in those that aren't your blood-related family. Um, feeling that. Uh, I guess that's the that's the biggest one that I have in the forefront of my mind is just seeing that connection and family is elsewhere as well as maybe in the traditional family structure. So if, if that's what I would immediately say is like, oh, try it then that she doesn't know August very well. Mm -hmm. 
she because it it's not far to go if they're already family before she starts and then right. they become family. True. So it's if he's a new kid or just this, and, and then suddenly and he's, he's needy in her car, and a burden, and, yeah. you know. You then know. if they know each other less, you'll have much more to go to go good because it's a fe- short. It was different now in a right. feature. I need them to know each other less so that you have the poles are farther apart. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing you guys can look at. And we talk about we have a whole episode on this, which is what are the poles of your character. So where are they in Act One and where are they in Act Three? And you can see then this these poles in movies. You know, you can go look at the Godfather. He takes her to the wedding and says to her, you know, my family are murderers, but that's my family, Kate. That's not me. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, so we start in the pole and the big bright sunlight and there's lots of light. So all the production design, all the cinematography is speaking to, he is a conscious, aware, good man mm-hmm. speaking to his conscience saying, I am not my family. The end of the movie He's in a dark, paneled, tiny room, a completely changed man who has lost his consciousness and is saying to himself, to her, mm-hmm. don't ever ask me about my business. Mm-hmm. And then she wa- and lies to her, and then men walk up and kiss his ring and call him his father's name. So once you have those big poles, and you can see that these poles in comedies, you can see them in movies that don't, the characters don't change very much, but the external changes, you can see them in Taken, that movie Taken, everything. And it really helps because once you start to say, okay, these are the pulls, like our inside out, right? Everything in act one is keep these core memories away from sadness. That is her goal. The end of the movie, she's literally handing them over. So the artist drew those two moments. Keep her away, hand them over. So that as we're playing and digging, you kind of know what's holding this up. Okay. I'm, right? So that's another thing you can think about. What's the scene? And this might come in the vomit draft. This might come in the template. This could come anytime. And it takes sometimes many drafts to find these. And look at another, look at up, right? The sort okay. of the cynic, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done. Life has handed me a shit basket. <laughs> and, uh, and then this annoying little kid shows up right. wanting something from him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then he stows away on right. the house. Right. right? <laughs> now he's stuck with this kid. Um, I'm assuming you've seen it. Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. <laughs> That's what, but he doesn't yeah. know that kid that kid literally just went yeah. door to door right. and then suddenly got stuck with him right. right and he does need to find new family right? right and yet it was what I love about Up is that his goal is quite optimistic even though he's a cynic which is a wonderful twist on this cynical character mm-hmm. he's not a cynic who's like I gotta get rid of this kid as soon as possible that's my goal okay that's for A to B Mm-hmm. But Pixar goes, no, his goal is so beautiful and optimistic and impossible. And yet he's still cynical doing it. <laughs> like it's such a beautiful kind of layered idea of a character. Right? I think that's right. I just think with road movies, Meg was so spot on to say that like the goal and even the events, the happenings along the road need to really line up with that thematic. It's, a, it's an ensemble movie. So careful watching it with the story math, but Little Miss Sunshine's a great example. We had Michael Arndt on our show. Each of those characters sees the world in black and white as winners or losers. And of course, they're going to a contest. Like, what's a more thematically on-the-nose example of, I'm a winner, I'm a loser, than a contest. And the whole thing becomes, pardon my French, it just becomes, fuck it, let's dance on stage. (laughs) So like, I think as you find those character pulls, thinking of all the happenings along the road as context for the theme that you're creating, it will help you. And I think another movie, Mike Mills came out with a movie this year called Come On, Come On. That might be helpful for you. Um, But yeah, I think road movies, the things that happen along the way, if they're 
either opposing or supporting your theme in some way and how the characters see themselves and that theme, it will be helpful for you. And let me just say one last thing and then we'll move on and you can go off the hot seat. <laughs> it's such a tricky thing because like we're talking to you and we're giving you all these different ideas, right? And just know there is no way, even if you were Michael Arndt or whoever, that you can do all of them in a draft. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. And I think that uh, emerging writers get confused that your first draft has to do all of that. That is not how writing works. Like, do one of them in that draft. Find the polls. Find crazy, wacky situations that you have no idea how that lines up to the theme, and yet you will eventually figure it out because you're the dreamer and your brain is naturally throwing up metaphor and it, you don't even know what that metaphor is because it's not in your conscious mind yet. But So there's going to be a, come a point that after you you know, do the Coen Brothers version of what's the craziest shit that could happen right now <laughs> and have fun with it, that then you go back later in a, in a later draft and you're like, does this service the theme that I, the transformation, does it, serve? if it does keep it or, in, or hone it in or revise it or it doesn't and it has to go, but it got you to this. Mm -hmm. So I just want to be clear that sometimes uh, when people are giving you ideas, it can be overwhelming because like, how the hell are you supposed to do all of this in one draft? Pixar works for five years on their movies. You make the movie seven times. There's a rough draft between every time you make it. So there's a minimum 15 drafts to get to anything that you would hand to a, a agent or a manager, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that can also seem overwhelming, but I mean it to feel be freeing. Mm -hmm. Just write it. Just let it be bad. You've got 14 more to go, right? Like, just do... I don't know who she is. This is the draft where I'm going to vomit it out and find out who she is and let, oh my God, I'm starting to hear her more. And, mm -hmm. or I'm going to follow the template. This, that's all I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And it, they can write much more fast that way. You don't get bogged down in perfectionism because that's not what you're doing. You're not trying to make it perfect. And I would think a lot too about what Meg asked you about. What does she, <clears throat> excuse me, what does she learn? Yep. Um, because you brought up, he wants her to be his uh, big sister. She's responding to her mother, mm -hmm. abandoning her, and then sort of rejecting her again. Mm -hmm. um, then you said, you know, the, the idea about chosen family at the end. I would be see where you can connect personally, emotionally, mm -hmm. to what that one specific thing is, like your spark, why you thought of doing this movie, the short, and then carrying that through. And I think that will help you get to that the theme of it, like really the specifics of what you really want the audience to feel at the mm -hmm. end. Because there was a lot, there's a lot, sisters, mothers, like family, there's a lot in there. So I would, not Which at is first. Great. Which is great. Yeah, it's you've amazing. Got a, you've got a good yeah. deep pool. Yeah. It sounds great. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, up next we have Alex Raban. Hi, welcome. Hi. Very nice to meet you all. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, so how can I, uh, so Jenny. Uh, Let's say I, movie or TV first. This would be a movie, but a movie. Okay. probably a short. Okay. It'd be cool to do a feature, but obviously would have to insinuate more ideas. Uh, but it would be, it's, the title is called Pinata. And we thought how it would be a horror slasher, probably a psychological thriller, then that genre. Okay, okay. So um, the idea sparked from, <laughs> let me think about this. So we were at a party, a birthday party, and Jenny, my partner, she got a uh, pinata that was like super creepy looking. 
just like this little boy. And I was just sitting there, sitting there, and we were just like, oh my God, no one's going to like do anything with this pinata. We're not going to hit this child yeah, until so then it's just it like, opens up and bleeds candy. Yeah, so everyone's just looking at it, and it was like, who brought the pinata? And no one ended up smashing it. We thought it was so funny. And I had jokingly told to my friend, I was like, hey, like, you know, if you don't break that, like, that's like 10 year curse. And he's all, wait, what? No, really? And I was like, no, I'm just looking with you, man. <laughs> like, and then I was thinking about, I was like, we're talking. I was like, oh man, how funny would that be if there was this, you know, this birthday party and there's women hanging out and, um, and this pinata, all these kids are hanging out and it's just modern day. No one cares about smashing a pinata and, you know, and it ends up not getting broken and, the women that she's, you know, the mom that's hanging out and having this birthday party, the other women are kind of making fun of her, like, who brought the pinata and things like that. And things go, you know, this is where I kind of like plateaued. I was like, uh, well, I got to figure out what, you know, ends up happening from here, you know, but basically the idea, and I kind of have what the ending would be like, um, where. Right, what's the end? So the end, she basically has turned into the pinata. Oh. <laughs> So, and it wouldn't be like... Uh, but what happened to the pinata? Yeah, so like, so there was a couple things. Either her body was inside the pinata or it's more psychological where it's like her spirit is in the pinata. After she died, she turned into another, you know, pinata. But the idea wouldn't be like where the pinata is like chasing after you or anything like that. Like, it would be, you know, more like in the Come spirit Come on, realm. Trilogy of Terror yeah, is legit. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't knock it down. No, no, that's totally rad. I was like, yeah, because I've seen somebody do like a knockoff and it's just like, I don't know, it's a little bit corny. I think if you could do it right, it could be really awesome. But um, for me, I was like, I want it to be more like the presence of that just being more like creepy than anything. So is it the, the curse, the idea of the curse that's haunting them? Or is there actually cursy things happening? Because there's a difference between the slasher and the psychological. Yeah, right? so like I would probably lean more towards the psychological things and like lean towards more like the curses and things so happening. So in psychological thrillers, which I don't watch because they terrify me, but I happen to know this. <laughs> it's a metaphor for something, right? Yeah. Something that the character is, like the Babadook, right? Is about yeah. motherhood, uh -huh. and, right? All that. So yeah. have you dug into that at all? Like if this woman turns into the pinata, mm -hmm. what does that mean for her? Like what has she failed or succeeded in doing that this would become the thing? Yeah, so essentially there's no happy ending, you know, like for how I'm envisioning it. I just think like... After, you know, she basically suffers and then it's this, her spirit lives on. And there's like another uh, birthday party that's happening. So that part is like trying to figure out like, well, what did in way to her to be right? So locked into I guess what is her worst fear? This woman, like, who is this woman? Is it just right now? Just woman? Yeah. That's what I had. Like okay. she's a single mother. So she's a single mother. It's like, she could feel trapped, ignored, mm -hmm ready to be broken open, right? So the, she already feels like the pinata or through the course of the short or the movie, she realizes she already is the pinata. Yeah, right. Like her life uh -huh. is. Uh -huh. So yeah, I, yeah. I guess it's like <laughs> what that, what her, that final image of her with like her eyes looking out yeah. at the next party, like, oh no, is this it? Where they, are they going to beat me up and am I dead? Or do I get to live in this pinata? Pinata. Yeah. <laughs> 
both <laughs> both seem terrible, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. going to get smacked, or I don't know, maybe. Or so, is it a body switching where there's somebody in that pinata, yeah, and if they get you to do certain things, yeah. you go in and they come out? Yeah, because I was almost thinking to, I love that, and I was almost thinking like, you know, bringing another character into it, you know, like at that party, there was this, you know, there's a clown. You know, and he had brought the pinata too as like a gift, as like an extra thing. But it you have too many terrifying elements now. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, but my brain immediately. So for me, for me, and everybody's different, but for me, stories are all about relationships, right? And even when you hear stories being told out loud, what I'm really listening for is relationships that I can dig into, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you need to have a relationship yet. You were very honest and were like, I, we just have this crazy idea. Yeah. So immediately my brain starts forming relationships like, the clown is the husband of the woman trapped in the pinata who's trying to get her out by bringing her to the woman that he thinks <laughs> will do the switcheroo, right? It's I'm trying like, to look for like what's human longing? Like yeah. why would this clown do this to you? Not just because he's evil, mm -hmm. but because he actually is heartbroken and will do anything including take you in order to get his wife back. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, what is this about? So then suddenly my brain is like, well, is this about marriage? Because it's a husband bringing a, you know what I mean? Like, that's just my trail, yeah, right? Yeah. And it, so it's, as you're trying to throw out, and, you're, and you should, again, just have fun, throw out crazy ideas. Of course. But yeah, eventually yeah. it's kind of like, what metaphor is that? Like, you know, mm -hmm. what is the relationships? And what, you're you're trying to explore something about a human person becoming hollowed out and somebody that just gets beat up. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that's, to me, immediately, I'm like, that's an abuse survivor. Yeah. Or somebody trapped in a pattern of abuse. Yeah. That they have, they disassociate, and they get, you know, verbally beat up all the time, mm -hmm. right? So there is something really juicy and deep underneath this silly idea, mm -hmm. which is why I think everybody kind of goes like, oh, because it's already got something deeper inside of it yeah now in terms of how to develop things you can do the analytical thing which is i have a friend we have a friend who's a psychiatrist and we'll i'll often call her and be like okay i have this crazy idea it's about this woman who turns into piata but really that's about abuse like what is that and so talk to me about women and she just starts telling me the psychology of people who get trapped in those and why don't they leave and blah, blah, blah. So it starts to give you interesting details, right? Mm. I'm not saying this is your movie. I'm just trying to say like how to start uh, yeah. pushing it. So you can go the analytical way. You can do the fun vomit draft way where you're just throwing out crazy. How, mu how much crazier can get this get? You can mm. look at other movies like The Babadook. I'm sure there's a lot of them, you know, Chucky, whatever, like yeah. those creepy ones. There was even right? one on uh, Hulu. Which I, I love it. It was called Hug. And it was a short, it was, I think it was like five minutes long. And this just kid at the birthday party. And all of a sudden, there's this animatronic bear. I think it was a bear or something. And it's just like, pass. <laughs> and it's, it's trying like, to get you to hug it? Yeah. And it's just basically like broken, but like somehow it just like sparks on. And this kid's like drawn to it. And this kid's like, ah, and goes and hugs it. And then it's like Chuck E. Cheese. But yeah, it's that, super creepy. So, but because, <laughs> you like, have, because you have these, um, this genre, Right, yeah. of inanimate objects terrorizing you, yeah. right, or inanimate, you know, dolls, bears, pinatas. Mm -hmm. Then, the, as you're having fun, eventually you have to start digging deeper in terms of what am I really trying to say? Why is this sticking in my head? Of all the crazy ideas I've had to write a script or a short, this is the one. Mm -hmm. As silly as it is, that keeps coming back. I believe it's because it's touching on something 
that you unconsciously or consciously have a question about. Mm-hmm. About why do people do this? Why do people give themselves over? Mm-hmm. Why are they so frightened that they would they would become a hollowed out thing that other people can abuse instead of having a boundary and standing up for themselves? Why would that happen? Like, and maybe that's a question you have because you have someone in your life who did that, or that you find yourself you have tendencies to do that, or whatever. That's the lava starting to come up, right? It can also that's be about the hiding. lava starting to come up, right? It doesn't. It can be about running away, hiding. It could be about hiding. I'm just using like yeah. a, the first metaphor, but yeah. it could be about maybe that's not your lava. Like if you're not sweating right now, it probably isn't, right? Mm-hmm. But if we say a word and all of a sudden you go. Ugh. Ugh, no, <laughs> don't make me do that. Like, oh, that's your congratulations. Lava. Congratulations. Yeah, no, that's super awesome. Yeah, I love that that style of it. That, like coming from the core of it and what yeah, what the actual meaning, you know, what's And sometimes story the way you get to that is you go you have to break form because you've gotten too locked in the screenplay format. So write a three page and let her talk to you in the I position. And she's already inside of that pinata. Mm-hmm. And she's gonna tell you her story. And make- don't don't edit her. Yeah. Even if she's like, I fucking hate you. Why are you making me tell you? I don't have anything to say. I'm not talking to you. Like mm-hmm. she might be like, I'm not talking to you. Mm-hmm. But she's in you. She's going to talk to you eventually if she trusts you. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't talk to you, you can set it up so like she's in a courtroom and she has to defend her choice in front of somebody that she respects. Or um, like if she's left someone behind, how she would justify this choice. Or, you know, you can set it up in different scenes so it's not just her telling you or you can put her in a really safe space mm-hmm. you know someone who who loves and trusts her and she feels that way that she's sort of confessing to so there are different ways to get at her telling you why mm-hmm. and i do trust the f- metaphor that your 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 dream self that's creating this will start throwing metaphors even if you're just being silly yeah like the clown showing up you know super mm-hmm. fun then yeah. you just ask who's the clown Mm-hmm. Why would he do this? Why would this be his motive? Yeah. Um, and you can just have fun with that. So that as you're doing the fun, because I think the shorts that really get attention are because they do have this deeper level going on, right? They they are, and you don't have to have the answer, by the way. You could just be asking a question, mm-hmm. right? Why do people do this? This is one answer, but there's probably a lot of different answers. There's something too about, you know, a kid's birthday party, a birthday clown, pinata. They're all such fun childhood things, but it all feels so nefarious and spooky and evil when you put all these things together that there's something really haunting in those that's all colorful and fun and the candles. And it's like, oh God, it means so much bad stuff is going to happen. You know, so you set us up to be like, oh, a party. And then. Yeah, it just slowly turns into because I I was reading about it and when you break a pinata, it's supposedly like good luck, so it releases you know all the bad things you know and things like that. So and I was like, oh how weird, <laughs> what happens if that never happens? It is such a crazy idea that you're handing your child a stick and saying, go break Spider-Man open, <laughs> and you'll have great luck and get candy will pour out of him. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, but it's great. But it's we so do it. fun. But it's so oh, my fun. God. I know, but from the metaphor point, it's such a good metaphor, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so do what's scary about this. How about that? I mean, yeah. I was going to ask you, but yeah. I'm not going to make you um, do it in front of everybody. My question to you is what scares you the most about life, about anything, other than spiders? I guess, yeah. I mean... Being trapped, for sure. 
Yeah. yeah. See? Like I think like being like in a position where I'm doing a repetitive thing and being stuck in that. And then it's like a vicious cycle, like a hamster wheel. Like I feel that for me, that's like, I lose my mind. I'm like, I need to get the hell out of so here. So having no agency, no voice, <laughs> right? Not being <laughs> yeah. seen. But see, yeah. that immediately tells me but that like, your act two is not her running away from this thing. It's her slowly becoming it because you're slowly trapping her more. And if your fear is being trapped, mm -hmm. Don't let your brain not trap her because you're actually afraid of it. This happens all the time with writers where you you have this goal emotionally, but you actually don't want to do it. So you do to your main character. It's, it's all inversed. So what I'm trying to say is lean into your fear of being trapped. Mm -hmm. And the more you're sweating because how, how you're trapping her makes you so uncomfortable as yeah. a person who's afraid of being trapped, the better. Yeah, the more anxiety. Right? <laughs> don't yeah. try to not trap her because you don't like the feeling of being trapped. Hmm. It's funny the job we have, right? Our jobs is to dig into what scares us and then do it <laughs> for like 120 pages, yeah. right? Lori is sometimes saying to me, "Do I have to keep evolving as a human? Why do I have to?" And I'm like, "No, it isn't. Evol you are evolving yourself it's as a human so every time." So hard. I don't want to all the time. Can't I just like? Not tell a, a fun story, <laughs> Meg. Do I have to evolve? But I'm like, well, you kind of do. Yeah. So, but that's, but again, and have fun. That's the most important thing. Have fun. Yeah, definitely. I come from more of like the vision. I like, you know, as a director, like DP, I'm like looking at like the visuals and the feeling. Here's what I'll yeah, challenge yeah. you with, though. Even as, even if that's your instinct, there's a reason those visuals are cooking in your brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I sometimes hear DPs or directors kind of self-deprecate and say, like, I'm not a writer. I'm just interested in visuals. But fortunately, it's a visual medium. And there's a subconscious reason that even if it just feels like this would look amazing on screen or generate terror, those images mean something. They're symbolizing something deeper. Mm -hmm. So don't let that prevent you from digging in. And don't let yourself not feel like a writer because you feel like a visually driven storyteller. There's so much juice and story happening with those images and there's a reason they're calling you. I would mm. love just do it as a silent film. There's yeah. no dialogue. Yeah. You're a DP and a, and a, cinema, and a director. Yeah, yeah. How great is that? It's be all awesome. behavior. Yeah. It's all what she's doing. It's what she's not doing. Yes. It's the, it's you would have to I mean an actress would love it. Oh, that'd be just storyboard yeah. it out. Actor bait. You yeah, know, just then do awesome. that. But all the stuff we're talking about still is going to be going on. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. It's a little bit harder because she can't talk and tell us. Like, she can't talk to her best friend. I think that pinata is chasing me. <laughs> like, you're not going to get that line. No. Um, but yeah. it's good. I mean, for people who come from playwriting, I often tell them to write it si a silent version so that they get out of the habit of narrative comes through dialogue because that's mm -hmm. playwriting. Versus also, stop into making the me evolve. <laughs> No, I love from playwriting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's great. Because of it, in the beginning, I had it where these women are just like ripping apart this mom, you know, like and just giving her shit, and it just kind of just like slowed downhill. But I love that. Yeah, the idea of it being silent because yeah, you can just assimilate emotion just by like just how she feels and looks yeah. on camera. And know, maybe like later you're gonna put the dialogue back in. It's just like one version you could do. Yeah, it's so one cool. version. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Thank cool. you, Thank Alex. You. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Also, thank you for my future nightmares. <laughs> All right. Next up we have, it's unsigned. Oh, Nick Collins. Yay. Welcome. Thank you, Nick. Hi, Nick. 
Also for that pinata one, there's this great Portlandia sketch. If you haven't seen it. Oh, he's gone. She's there, but she, he's here. Oh, where they She's get cursed here. with the Netflix DVD of the Doctor of Caligari, and they just keep holding off on watching it. It's, it's <laughs> That's awesome. Good. All right, Nick, TV or feature? Uh, it's a short. Short, okay. Yeah. Um, the title is Beauty, and it's kind of a heavy concept short about the point of view of a painting that kind of eavesdrops in on the uh, family for multi-generations. And uh, each, each vignette is a moment of time where the family kind of has conflict and where that will eventually lead the painting next. When you say lead the painting next, what do you mean? So like we have it from sort of from inception to changing of hands of ownership from going to like from the artist and the wife to the artist passing away to the wife's new family and to then on to the children after the the, the wife of the artist passes away to going on and through the kind of art world like kind of scene of of um, you know like auction to local gallery to thrift shop to hanging on a punk house to eventually being on the street and being picked back up by other people that's cool so is it right now is it a short like a script or does it exist as a short or? it exists as a yes yeah, screenplay okay 14 pages is there a i immediately think of dorian gray right is and you were saying because it picks up on the family and their conflict does mm -hmm. that it pushes ownership, but does it also affect the painting? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. If, if So the whole thing is we're not revealing the painting until the very end, but we have like little hints of seeing the painting and it kind of as it degrades a little bit over time too. What for you thematically is it about? It's about value. It's about um, value through family member or through kind of spectator and what the what kind of like art means to you know the the people who own it and what they they feel emotionally about it because it has you know familial attachment and um, love attached to it and then all the way towards the end where there's like no attachment they just like it you know or it finds inspiration within somebody who has no familial ties to this piece of art. So is the story from the art, the painting's point of view? Mm -hmm. So we connect emotionally to the painting? Is that how we see the story? Yeah. And so that's kind of where my struggles are lying and with people reading it is how do we make a sort of passive observer kind of empathetic or interesting? And that's kind of where I'm struggling with right now. The painting almost seems more like a window. Exactly, yeah. Into different people's lives. And I wonder if a way to go dig into this is, I'm not saying that the, the philosophical, Michael Art talks about the philosophical theme versus the emotional theme. Does he call it philosophical? I don't remember. Um, intellectual. Intellectual theme. Maybe. So the Javi's thing, the overarching. Somebody came Listen on to the podcast. podcast and talked <laughs> Somebody to it. smart told Somebody us something smart we can't remember. Word. But I mean, I also agree that there can be kind of philosophical themes, value of art, um, maybe an issue that you're not you, but a, a writer is dealing with an issue. But 
when I'm talking about thematic, I mean that emotional human thematic that's deeper than that philosophical theme. So I'm interested in this window of the painting. If the thematic is all about the painting, but I don't ever get to see it, that means they're, those people out there through that window are commenting back on me because mm -hmm. I'm the painting. It kind of, I, I, I'm kind of not, I can see why that's tricky. I'm not saying you can't do it, but that's super high math, story math, versus this is a window into different stories that link thematically, emotionally, mm -hmm. the, right? And you can still do your, your larger uh, uh, philosophical with where the painting goes and how it gets thrown out. That's still in the movie. But what I'm interested in the stories it's witnessing. Mm -hmm. Like there was an old movie about a house, If These Walls Could Talk, mm -hmm. which is about three rooms in a house as the generations and it gets sold. And, but, but it's just an opportunity to see different people having a moment or something and how the, that gets absorbed into this house, yeah, right? Yeah, a ghost story does that too. Right, so yeah. what for you, does there anything in terms if we think of the painting as a window into these emotional moments uh, for these couples, families, people, is there any thematic in there that links all of them? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a little, um, it always comes back to the painting and what that kind of, means to the person and how that conflict might interact with another party within that vignette. Right, and so that's that still that... staying a little intellectual, mm -hmm. right? So you kind of know you're getting to an emotional thematic when, you, when the person says it and you can feel it in your body, right? I'm still up in my head, I, I'm, not, I'm still, so give me an example of a storyline that it witnesses. Um, so we could start in the very beginning where we, we go with the actual artist and we're in kind of a smaller studio space and we have, you know, the, the wife and the husband and then, a and the husband being a, a painter, the wife being a photographer and then the husband and is doing a portrait of, of their like kind of newborn baby and stuff like that. And they're kind of quarreling about you know, their monetary means and trying to, you know, support a family versus, and it's kind of going on like staying true to the art versus kind of like selling out and stuff where the wife has going, the husband is, is ignoring his kind of like commission tasks of painting terriers for rich people. And then the wife is, you know, preparing for a portfolio review for maybe for like a magazine and, you know, he's, he's, he finds kind of more value within the family and wanting to paint the family. And so, I mean, spoiler alert, the, the painting that's point of view is of the wife, and that's kind of the through line of through the whole piece. How and is so, it a through line? So it, we, can, we, we follow her more and then kind of ends with her, you know, her wake where the kids are kind of quarreling over who, who receives the painting or not. One wants to keep it in the family, one wants to sell it, kind of thing. So is it a, about a woman who doesn't feel seen or feels trapped? That's a word that's now been brought up, so my brain goes there. If it's following her through line, what is her issue? Right, yeah, that's what I have to, is it really about her? Yeah, 
You know, is it really about her? Because you could you could do completely different people who don't have any re- relative relationship mm-hmm. together. But it sounds like you're they're all staying within a family generation, right? And if he's if he's saying to her this is more important, and she's saying it's not as important, then is the painting kind of at the end? You're realizing she was wrong because this is all that's left of her, and all that stuff she was worried about the money and the blah blah blah. It's gone. Or is it the opposite? And that's a nice painting, but the reason this whole family can exist is because she sacrificed her own art in order to keep this family going. Those are two very different stories. Can you hear the complete opposite thematic Mm. inside of one story, right? And it's really about what's personal to you. And that's probably not even your thematic, right? But I would go look at all those vignettes in terms of just what as your dream has brought up what... What's emotionally down inside there? What, what is upsetting, vulnerable, you know, um, behind their facades? And see if you can see something moving that when we turn around and see it's her, it sounds like it is about her, if the painting's her, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to dig in a little bit about why you chose a painting we don't see that's an observer as the sort of window the main character and is is and sort of what that means to you i found it conceptually an interesting vessel into peering into all these different stories and you know i mean this is based off of real life kind of family drama that we have or had where um you know i lived with these paintings but i wasn't directly blood related to the artist. So my grandmother uh, married a second time and married an artist and he didn't really make it when he was alive. But since you know how all art is, you're, you make the money when you're dead. So he was part of like a scene in, of a expressionist landscape artist in SoCal in the 50s. And now they're kind of worth something. And so we had all these paintings and there's kind of like a family uh, quarrel about who has kind of ownership or right over them. And, you know, the, the blood related wants to sell them for money and we want to keep them and preserve them within the family, even though we're not related to this person. And what's the most interesting part of that for you? And a, we always have this painting and it's like of a, of a portrait of a woman that's just kind of like always looking out into and it's, I don't know if me as a... Is that painting for you? Is it she sitting in judgment? Is she sitting in approval? Like what for emotionally you emotionally deep. when you see that painting, what do you... Like I have a really creepy painting in my house. Mm-hmm. It's one of these big eye girls that my husband loves. And I always walk into the family room and I'm like, Ugh, I hate it. But he likes it, right? But I, fi- I feel like disturbed by it. I have an emotional reaction to it. Um, yes, I'm, I'm very expressive. Um, uh, so like when you see that painting and this woman in it, emotionally, what's your response? I just always feel a kind of a, a great sadness from the painting. But it is the painting feel sadness? A little bit. The yeah. painting is sad. It's very kind of neutral, but there's like a slight hinge of maybe that's my perception of what that painting that's is what feeling. i'm asking I mean, that's for. great art yeah it is always yeah. about your perception do you feel she's sad or does she make you sad mm. or both maybe both and maybe that's what a character should feel 
Do you right, feel there's like- a great loss. That mm-hmm. sounds like loss. That you know, so sadness is a big word, right? Does it mean loss? Does it mean futility? Grief. Does it mean grief? Does it mean you can dig down into well, what does sadness mean? You can as a as a tool to help you go look at a thesaurus until you find the word that rings in your body, like there it is. It is grief. It is whatever that word. And you you know, at Pixar whatever, they'd put that word up on the wall. Right? That's there's a little beacon happening. It's not just sadness, it's longing. No, it's not longing, it's grief, right? Till we find the one that the director is like toned to that word, right? And then that can help you shape um, what the stories are that we're seeing. I personally think if the stories we're seeing are so emotionally compelling, people won't be asking about the painting. Hmm. You won't get that note anymore. And that's the tricky thing about notes, right? Like the note is, well, what's the painting? And, and yet, so you spend all this time doing drafts on that until you realize, wait, that's not actually the note. And people, because they're just readers, they don't know, that's, they're just going to the easy thing versus, oh no, it's that they're not drawn in through this window into this drama happening. There's that movie, The Red Violin. Have you seen it where this violin goes from different hands to different hands and the, it's life in all these different mm. ownerships and don't actually care about the violin you care about the people and how how those different people are touched by it right it's very expensive so someone has to sell it someone you know all these different and I don't remember what it's about thematically but it and maybe leaving I I would do a version since it's a short even easier to say this where Mm -hmm. you don't hide what the painting is what was that that you don't hide what the painting is of Mm -hmm. like maybe that twist is creating such barrier to the emotion right that again i'm not saying you don't eventually go back towards we don't see what the painting is but that might unlock something for you that you need for the other version so do a version where we get to see the painting like the violin like we're actually watching this object change its meaning its value its emotional resonance based on but we get to see it and it's changing in front of our eyes like we used to see the painting as this as her as this strong woman, but by the end of the movie, it's a fucking sad painting, and it's exactly the same painting, exactly the same, and yet our understanding of it is so changed. I don't know why this is coming into my mind, but it makes me think of the song in um, uh, in the, the Pixar movie about dead people. Oh, my God. Oh, Coco. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, that isn't, you know, that's a great version of watching a song shift its meaning from something that is kind of a showboat song to an intimate song that was meant to be sung to this woman, Mm. right? And Mm -hmm. that creates the entire story in a way, right? And that was a big deal when they found that shift of that song and what, you know, and with Bobby and Kristen writing that beautiful music, right? So again, that's another, it's a thing, it's a song. It's just a thing, it's a song, it's a painting. But our relationship to it shifts so dramatically that that's where the emotion comes up, right? So I'm not saying you can't ultimately do the fun twist if we don't see it till the end. I'm not saying that because that is super fun mm-hmm. um, and a worthwhile endeavor. But maybe a version, don't do that and see what happens. You can also do a version where we never see the painting and we only see how other people perceive the painting. So similar, right? Like you have the young man standing in front of it, having an emotional response, it's just that everyone has a different experience with art. We're, gonna, we're fighting about we're going to sell it. We're, you know, we're going to keep it for this reason that it's sort of unimportant. 
the painting itself, right? Because it's more important the relationships people have and that they're using that as currency almost in their emotional conflicts with each other. Yeah, because I'd love to ask you, like, in, without getting too personal, you can pass or not have to share, but like, there's this conflict your family's having about this painting. Why does one family want to sell it and why does one family not? I think it has to be with, again, like financial status as mm -hmm. well. You know, one, one family, you know, doesn't have as much as the other one. And so they are looking for kind of like a, you know, a means to pay some things off or live a better life. And, and they think that they're, you know, that they have ownership over that too because, you know, they're blood related. Right. But why does the other family want to protect that painting? Because they're not in that position and they want to kind of preserve it and to kind of inspire the next generation with these paintings. And which is interesting is because the person who's blood related, the granddaughter of this artist has completely adopted this, her grandfather's um, aesthetic and oil painting Mm -hmm. and stuff and so that like my father views that as like well we should definitely keep them because it's inspiring her to be like him like the grandfather that she never met but the mother is like well i don't want her to go down that path you know it almost <laughs> sounds to me like it's about protection or... i have ideas <laughs> <laughs> yeah it feels like it might be about something else i think as another exercise one thing i might challenge you to do is forget the painting and just write a dinner conversation scene where everyone shares their point of view about why you should or should not sell this painting. Mm. And then I think you'll really learn what this is about. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I don't know if you both agree, but I feel like maybe we haven't really zeroed in on what this is actually about. And I think... Well, but I think it's interesting that you got the most emotional when you talked about you looking at the painting and your emotional connection to that painting. So it's sitting right in there this emotional thematic and um, that, you know, what you're facing is possibly losing it, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it could be a million things sitting in there that makes you feel come up, right? Like, do you feel like the painting unseen, just something that's bartered away mm -hmm. uh, or, and you want to be fought for? I don't know. I'm literally projecting. I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, like what to do some writing exercises on that painting and what that feeling is that comes up. Do you want to talk to the painting? right? Do you want to confess something to it? Do you want the painting to talk to you? Again, just to try to dig up what is this that's bubbling under here. And again, you come at it, we can come at it as writers from all different, right? We can do that kind of deep work and then have to put it away and take a walk. And then the next time you're just going to do fun scenes because that was pretty, and, but those fun scenes suddenly take on a different tone because you did that deep work. And so it will naturally in your brain start filling some things in, right? Um, is that helpful? Very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it feels like attachment, family, mm -hmm. like there, it's ownership and how you fit into that. Right. And then my next question, does this feel too big for a short film? No, no, you can do it. It might not be 12 minutes. Yeah. 12 seems, seems fast. You might it might know. be a longer half hour mm -hmm. short film, but I know that people don't want to do that because of programming, but 20 minutes, it might be a little longer. I would not for now make it be 12 minutes. I wouldn't worry about page count until you get this thing up. Uh, just let it be however long it wants to be. And hey, if it turns into a feature, whatever. But just let it be. I, I agree. I think you should just write. Yeah. Write whatever comes and don't limit yourself by page or scene number, you know, all that kind and of I stuff. And I know so many people, especially in short films, are looking and 
understandably and smartly for the hook or the reason that this is kind of a new concept for a short film. That's super important. I'm not trying to say that's not. But at some point, you then we all have to put that aside and find out what this is about and what it really wants to be, right? And so that you can balance that out with the other half. And this happens for all writers. You know, you might just have a spark of an idea and you write it down. You're like, oh, this is great. I have the high concept. And you write it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And then you have Meg read it. And she's like, but what is it about? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. And then you have to go back and read it, you know, write it and write it and get into that really scary place. But it's, this happens always for the rest of your writing life, forever. I don't think there's any, you get better at it, but there's always another layer to dig into. So you're in exactly the right spot, right? Like, and it's a cool idea. Yeah, it's a really and cool idea. And I really idea. like that it's um, personal and, and real, and that's going to give you a lot of juice. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do folks have questions? Raise your hand if you'd like to ask a question. Take some questions. Can I just take questions? Yay. Okay, great. Let's do, let's let's do a quick Q&A. I saw your hand first. So, in fact, I'll bring a mic to you. Run, Jeff, run. <laughs> you know, well, we're recording it, it for the, the show. Podcast, so. so, that's okay. Introduce yourself and then ask a question. Hi, my name is Laura. I really appreciate everything that you guys have said. It's been very helpful to me. So, um, not that to get into my story, but uh, I've been struggling with an idea that could be a documentary or it could be a feature. Mm -hmm. And it's about true beauty. And it was based on an experience that I had many years ago where I had dated uh, one date with the basketball star of the college. And I was so excited to be on this date, yet the guy didn't, you know, spark me at all because of how egotistical he was. And then I met a professor's uh, assistant who was raggedy and scruffy beard. And I remember that the handsome guy touched my arm like this and I felt nothing. But then the scraggly guy after his date, he touched my arm and it felt like heaven. So <laughs> the, the idea was just having somebody go into true what true beauty really is, which is the person inside. So right. I was just curious as to if you can maybe give me just a little bit of direction, documentary or feature? I mean, it can, I mean, you know, not an easy answer because it could be e either, right? It sounds though, my gut is for starting and it can open up and blossom into much bigger, of course, as you get in there. It's either a short doc or a short film is Right? Again, it doesn't sound like you have three acts for a full feature yet. Yet. Right? Um, because it's what you just pitched were moments. Right? And part of being the writer is under, and we all have to do this. I, I still get this note, which is, you know, well, th this is a pile of incidents or a pile of moments. Right? Which is not a story. Right? So it's really... I would personally, I mean, a short doc, I don't know enough about docs in terms of that. We'd have to ask, ask the documentarians here. But as a short film, write the script. Why, it's 15 pages, right? And see if that is satisfying, if that brings to you what it is you're trying to say and put out in the world. Um, I would do that first because that's more within your control because it's just a paper and typing, right? Versus a documentary, that's a big undertaking, right? And think to uh, ask yourself when you're writing, it seems when you pitched it, I was like, well, obviously go with the scraggly guy. 
right? So what's her conflict though? What's her conflict? And since it's narrative, she's not you, right? You're not your character here. So separate yourself from your character to keep yourself safe. And, and then think about what her conflict is between being with the basketball star and being with the scraggly guy. That's something surprising. You're welcome. Thank you, Laura. I saw some other hands. Yeah, sure, right here. Hey, um, I'm Michael. Uh, so I have kind of two questions. So the first one is, um, I can procrastinate often and, um, <laughs> it can kind of be daunting to just like jump into a short script or really anything like that. So I was just wondering if you guys had any pointers on kind of how to get the ball rolling. And then also, um, when you are like deep in it and you're like building up, tearing down, starting over, like, how do you keep the, your direction, because I can sometimes get lost, like, am I even, like, from where I started to where I'm, and, like, in the middle, I don't even really know. Yeah, on, like on me on Tuesday, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think your questions are the life of the writer. Like, this is what we deal with every day. Um, as far as procrastinating, welcome to the club. Welcome. Um, yeah, welcome. Yeah, I think uh, I sometimes have to just trick myself. Like, I can't start with a blank page. So, once I have something written, something that Meg's brilliant husband suggested to me at Austin was that at the end of the day, you don't finish the scene you're writing so that the next day you have something to start on. And also you give yourself that break where, you know, you're in a scene, you're writing, I know exactly where this is supposed to go, but if you stop and then you do whatever you're doing that night and the next time you come back to it, something else might have occurred to you that's a little different. So even if that means... I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. And you write one sentence down, one sentence. Then the next day, you know you're going to come back to that one sentence or line of dialogue or a picture or anything that you think might spark you. And then you really do just have to get your butt in the chair and do it and, and not, give your, not let yourself off the hook. Yeah, you just can't. The reason we started the podcast is because there's a million stories out there that are never going to be known. They're never going to come. The universe picked you and you're not doing it because some part of your brain is a writer's brain and thinks it's not valuable, it's not good enough, maybe we're perfectionists, maybe we're afraid of being exposed, maybe we're afraid that if I start and it's terrible, it means I can't write, so I'd rather not write in case somebody tells me I can't write because then I can at least have the dream that I was a writer even though I never actually wrote anything. Like it doesn't actually make any logical sense, but we all think this way, right? So. Part of it just becomes the difference between you and the people doing it for a living is they just sat through that fire anyways. It's the same fire. I, listen, we used to work at Pixar with some of the geniuses. It's the same fire, right? Their first drafts also don't work. I mean, that's just part of a first draft, right? So it's sitting through the fire of that first draft and realizing, huh, okay, well, it served its function. It showed me everything that doesn't work. And uh, I like that piece. Or I don't like any again. of it. Or I don't like any of it. That's important to know. I thought it was about this woman and her boyfriend, but it's I like the dog is the best character in this freaking thing. So maybe I'm going to do the dog's point of view, and I'm going to turn it into a short. Like at some point, it's dreaming, and your conscious brain is repressing things. You have blind spots, but it's coming through. You just have to write enough. I really believe for emerging writers, it's quantity. And I know we've gone to school and we've gone to all these workshops and all the blah, blah, blah about the quality. Absolutely. But honestly, 
those first three years, it is quantity. That's all it's about. Because you need time and pages to learn the craft and learn who you are and the stories feel safe enough to come out, right? Because your, your brain is distracting you with lots of shiny objects because it really doesn't want you to talk about your dad because that feels like death. But your dad's story is sitting there waiting and you're not writing. So honestly, if you can just commit to 20 minutes a day, you're going to be shocked how much you can write in 20 minutes a day. And listen, this is what we all say, especially women with children. Well, I don't have time to write. I need two hours at least to write. So I will write nothing. That's baloney. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then someday what's going to happen is the tap's going to turn on. And you're going to look up and it's going to be four hours later. It's going to happen. I promise that you will happen. If your brain and those, the story gods are like, what is your name? Michael, Michael is sitting down every day. He has sat down every day for 40 days for 20 minutes. Okay, turn it on. <laughs> it's weird, but you have to prove it to it. And that's why I, some people take classes because that's, it forces them into that. I don't care. Take a class. I did that when I trained from being a producer to a writer. I went to the UCLA Extension and took a short story class because I needed somebody waiting to turn something in. Right? So whatever you need to do, form a group. Everybody has to put in 50 bucks, and whoever... When you miss your day, you don't get the money, right? Whatever you have to do to get your butt to sit down for 20 minutes, because you have to push through the doubt. You have to push through the fraud syndrome. You have to push through the perfectionism. The only way to do that, in my experience, is to sit down and do it. There's no easy answer. There's no you know, magic pill that means it's not going to hurt and it's not going to be hard. But what you get on the other end is so beautiful and this thing exists that's been waiting for you. It's your stories are sitting behind you right now, like, what the hell? We're waiting. Michael, sit down. Please, we're knocking on the door. Right? So, you know, sometimes when I get stuck, I will literally just be like, okay, Meg. Because I just feel so much pressure on how good it has to be and it's due. And so now I need to go do the laundry. I do anything other than sit down and prove to myself that I don't know what to do. And I will just like title a document. Starts, okay, we're moving. Okay, open that document. Okay. Oh, yeah, opening now, it. Write any sentence that comes into your head. Anything. Yeah, I don't, anything about that has this character in it. Where is she? Okay, she's in a coffee shop. What is she doing? She's really mad. Why is she mad? I don't know. I don't know where we're going right now, right? In terms of, I just know that I have to write this. And then slowly, it starts moving, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I don't even need all that stuff. That was just the grease to get me into here she is, right? And oh, that goes with that. And suddenly, you're putting pieces together. So to me, it's just about getting that ramp. Just like Lorian said, just write anything down. And... You know, the last thing I'll say about it is the other thing that gets me to sit down and do that is that if you, Michael, if you do not sit down and do it, your characters will never get a chance to exist. They have chosen you and they will never be here. So don't do it for yourself. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your ego. It has nothing to do with proving yourself. It has to do with fighting for them. You're going to sit there and go right, ignore all the voices screaming that you're not good enough or whatever it is the reason you want to procrastinate. You're just going to ignore it for your characters. 
fall in love with them enough to do it. That's how I do it. And I think to remember that, you know, we get caught in the perfectionist loop and that means I'm going to write this down. It's going to be so good. And this is the thing that's going to launch me. And then I'll be, have made it right. This short is going to get into this festival and I'm going to win this prize and I'm going to get asked to write this movie and then I'm going to direct this and win an Oscar and hooray. Right. That probably doesn't happen. Right. Oh my God. That's so much pressure to put on this poor dog walking into a coffee shop. (laughs) He just wants to walk into the coffee shop. So you're going to write a draft and that is the best thing about it, that it exists. And you're going to write more drafts of that. But that's not the only story you have. You have many, many more. And one of those might be the one, right? I think I do it too. I was like, okay, this is the, I just have to be so good. This is going to be the one that like, I don't know what I even expect anymore, but I still have that and I have to lie to myself. Nope. This is just one. I'm not going to put a hundred percent of myself and all of my fears, it's like, no, I'm going to give myself to it completely, but I know that I have more. What I love is my, my 18-year-old, and he might even be here, but he's here watching movies, and he wants to be a writer-director, and oh, God, oh, he loves to tell me all his ideas. Oh, and he's so excited to come up and tell me all about them, and how great they're going to be, and let me pitch it to you. And I'm like, great, go write it. And he's like, yeah, nah, 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 nah. I'm like, nah, 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 because it's, see, it's good in his head. Oh, it's and as so soon as he puts it on a piece heads. of paper, it's not going to be any good. And he's going to find out all the problems. And, you know, he literally said to me, I can't believe nobody has done this before. And I'm like, well, maybe you should start writing it and find out. Because there's a reason probably that nobody's done it before. And you're going to figure out how to do it, right? Like, literally, this is the difference between people who do it for a living and people who don't. The people who don't love to talk about it. Because it's still good in your head. They don't want to sit in the shit pile of this is horrible. But it doesn't matter. Of course it's horrible. Of course it's horrible. Its job is to be horrible. And it doesn't mean you're not a good writer. No, it means you're a writer. Welcome. Right. So we attach a lot of, you know, I'm a writer. That's my identity now, right? So my work is a reflection of who I am. But we are not our work. And so if you write a shitty, shitty first draft, which 100% we all should and we will, I, I don't know. The greats do. The greats. Yes. We've read them. We've seen them. Those stories about I wrote this in a week, no. Baloney. They've been writing that for a long time, Baloney. right? So you are not your work. You are supposed to write a shitty first draft and a shitty second draft and move things around and break it and ruin it and patch it back together. So... That is the process. So don't let this attachment to it's supposed to be great. This is the this is my one idea. This is the thing that will launch me. It's like no no no. Well, this to is speak the to that, to speak to this is I have one idea, or I don't know how to rewrite this because I'm afraid to break it. Because if I rewrite it and break it, but it was good and this got like good feedback. So how do I break it? How do I throw it away? And I just want to say that I think that especially emerging writers, because you just don't have that quantity yet of of, of months of doing it. You really, I think a lot of people think that the well that they're putting their bucket down has this much water in it, like an inch. And isn't it already up in this script that I wrote? Like, isn't that all my good ideas? Because fuck, can I go back to the well? And here I promise you, it's an ocean. It's an ocean. It's gigantic. You cannot even perceive right now 
how big it is and the stories that are going to come to you. You can't. I can't believe the shit that I've written, that I'm like, where did that come from? No idea. If you had asked me 10 years ago or whatever, could you have written that? I would have been like, no. I have no idea where it's coming from. But it's coming because it is every day. It is just, and you learn, and it gets deeper, and you learn, and you can get there faster, and you're still writing like shit, but you can just get through it faster. That's all. That really is it. <laughs> you know it's shitty quicker. Yeah. No, And for you real. can more quickly find the problems, and then you know, I have to go bounce this off Lauren because I have to talk it out loud because I don't know how to fix this. And then we, and then I, by saying it out loud, you suddenly know how to fix it, and you go back and you work somewhere. So right now, I'm, I'm working on a couple pitches to take out to pitch for TV, and I just finished a script and I'm sort of in this place of, I don't have an idea. What am I going to do? And so is the ocean there? So I just going to open a document and start writing and see who shows up and have to trust that eventually, I mean, I'm a professional writer. The stakes are kind of high. <laughs> I have to come up with something, but like, I have to trust that I mean, it'll be shitty. I mean, it it's going to be really bad. I kind of feel like maybe I might, I don't know if I could actually do this, but like, what, commit right now on the air? No, hardly. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, like, publish a shitty draft. Maybe when I retire. I'll be like, here's an example. Yeah, when we example. retire, we'll put all those shitty drafts I'll be like, here's an it. example of this that became this. And you'll be like, oh, my God. I'm embarrassed for you. Did somebody else have a question? And then we could probably be done. Great. And if you need a practical, just, like, do it now. I have a friend. He's an insurance underwriter. He has nothing to do with the business. But I call him the studio. And every Friday, he emails me and says, the studio needs its pages. So I send him whatever pages I wrote that week. And if I don't have pages, I have to tell him why. So just like find a friend. He doesn't have to, he doesn't even, he doesn't read them. Like he doesn't care. <laughs> you, they don't even need to care. But it's just like find a friend that you have to deliver pages And that you're to. a little afraid of. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit afraid of I this person. I have a friend that I have been, every Thursday at one o'clock, we get, we Zoom because he's in New York and we alternate weeks of who it is to talk about we either send pages or talk about story ideas. And if one of us misses it, we have to pay the other $25. Mm-hmm. We're both so cheap. And like, <laughs> it's not even about the $25. It's like, I'm not going to be the first one to have to pay the $25. So even if you, even if I show up and I don't have any pages or anything to talk about, I better come up with something to talk about. I have to pitch something. So then we workshop our ideas together. And it just that knowing that that's coming with like dread and anticipation, you know, and if this helps on the screenwriting life, uh, Facebook page, there's a, and I don't know where it is on there, but we can put it up to the top. There's a Slack group going. There's a bunch of different ones and they're from people from all over the world. So some Slack groups start at 6 a.m. Pacific time because they're starting in different time zones around the world. And it worked for me. I needed to write something. And I was like, okay, guys, I'm jumping on. And at 6 a.m. every day, there are 20 people, 30 people, two people. And they're like, who's here? Okay, go. And you write together. And then somebody will be like, okay, that's that's an hour, people. Jump off. And it really helped me get through this little push I needed to have to know that all of those people were also up at 6 a.m. or whatever time it was, and they were all there writing. And, and it's a weird psychological thing to help you. All right. I think we have time for one more. And I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Linda. Belinda. Melinda. Belinda. <laughs> Hi, I'm Belinda. <laughs> I wanted to ask, I know you mentioned the importance of writing a lot of drafts and just revising and revising. How do you know when you're done with something and that's the one you want to pitch? Well, 
because you run out of time, basically, and somebody say, takes it away due, from you. you it's due. Um, yeah, I'm always slightly dissatisfied and want to go again. But sometimes it's like I don't have any more ideas. Like I know – this is giving it to a manager or a friend or somebody, not to the business or the studio, but it's like I know something isn't working in here, but I'm tired and I can't see it. So then I'll give it to people to, with to say – what and usually it's they're talking they want to do something they think something completely different than even what I do and so just so I'm handing out drafts to get feedback and talk um when when it's going to the studio i you've been paid for it usually it's a deadline and you've written you know a draft that's gone to the studio has you've written so many drafts before they ever see it um you've tried so many things they call it the first draft they call it the first draft not which send is send them your first draft <laughs> <laughs> no you've probably gave it to the producer and they've done drafts you've given it to friends before you even gave it to the producer you know it's probably the eighth draft when it goes in but um especially now because they really don't develop at the studios but um so it's if you're talking about like a short film and it's ready to shoot um it's when you're or a feature of course you're when it's a feature you're starting to get um response like this is a movie like that's a really big thing that all professional writers are going for is this is a movie. It needs tons of work, but it's a movie. That is like what you want the studio to say when you turn your draft in because that's what they want it to be. Like this is a movie. And there's what that means is like a whole seminar that I could give you, but it's this is a movie. You're starting to get feedback of I loved this. This this made me cry. This oh my god, I was sweating when this happened that you always ask people what worked first. Even though all of us will jump in and start telling you what didn't work, you as a writer need to know what works. Both because as a craft, you need to know it worked and as a story, but also psychologically, you need to feel safe. And hearing what works first really will get your brain open to receive what doesn't work. So when that, okay, when people are like, well, the dog so cute. Okay, let's talk about everything else. You're like, okay, there's a lot of work to be done here, right? Versus they're talking mostly about what they liked. And then they're like, ah, oh, you know, like, are you sure that's her middle name? I'm like, we're done. You're talking about this character's name. Awesome, right? They're not saying, I don't really like her. Why is she doing that stuff? What? I don't, I didn't understand this entire part. You know, they're like, oh, okay, that's a lot. So when you're starting to get that kind of feedback, you're probably done. And be careful with who you're asking for feedback right? Um, I once got way too, I let myself get way too much feedback from way too many people. And I don't even know what the script became. I was like, this isn't what I was trying to write. I was trying to service all these notes. So I stripped it all the way back to my like first or second draft. And I was like, okay, now how can I incorporate these notes back into what I want? So when you're getting feedback, make sure it's people who are asking you questions too. Like, what are you trying to accomplish here? What, you know, it's not just blindly giving someone a script sometimes and saying, tell me what you think. You can say, I'm really, do you get the theme? What are you responding to emotionally? You can drive that process a little bit too um, because it's your script, it's your vision. And if you say, hey, what's the theme? And they come back with, I didn't know, or it's this thing that's the opposite of what you're trying to do. That's a, that's a pretty big note. You know, and sometimes, especially for emerging writers, if you're doing shorts or you know, sometimes you just have to be like, I'm done, I'm making this because you just got to make it and learn something and go to the next one. Like the opposite can happen where you get too precious with it and you never make it and you never write another script because you have to write five scripts five times each. So sometimes you just need to be done 
You know what I mean? Like you're written out, go to the next thing, right? And write the next thing. And you might come back and see that thing in a whole new light. You can sometimes just be like, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of ideas. It served its purpose. I need to go on to the next thing. And it's okay too if you have gone on to something else and something else and something else and then you watch that first thing and you're like, ooh, because you learned so much from them. Like you, you read any of your old scripts and you're like, ooh, wow, interesting. You can also have the experience where you're like, oh my God, that was kind of good. You can do that too. Like shit. Yeah. yeah. It's usually yeah. a mix of both. Yeah. You can see, you can honor the young writer you were, or emerging writer you were and see the brilliance of something that was there, but then also read the dialogue and say, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about doing. Yeah. Yeah, just do it. I think it's just decide, right? Decide to write, decide to make a film, decide it's done, and everything in your script is another decision you have to make. Standing in one place and not deciding and worrying about what the right thing to do is and which direction you're supposed to go on is just not going to get you anywhere. So just decide. I'm going to write gets, today. And I'm going to stop writing. And if it gets in a contest or not, if it gets into a film festival or not, that's so subjective at some level, you know? Okay, you put it out there. It did its thing. Go to the next thing. Just go to the next thing. It's not some edict on your creativity or who you are. It's, it's not. It's, that was your first thing. Go to the next thing. Or it was your 16th thing. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, keep, keep going. Keep going. All right, you guys. I think we have to be done to run to our next thing. But thank you so much thank for you. coming. Thanks again for tuning into TSL. This was part one of our San Luis Obispo Film Festival coverage. But we have one more amazing episode coming out next week about what it looks like to turn your short film into a feature. And honestly, it's a lot about just writing short films in general. So. A lot of you have been asking about that coveted short film episode, and next week it's coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Also, I want to thank Bill Gaines from Bill Gaines Audio um, out of San Luis Obispo for his help. That's B-I-L-L-G-A-I-N-E-S Audio. Um, super helpful, great clean audio we got from you, so thanks. And finally, uh, shameless self-promotion here. A lot of you have been asking how you can check out the feature that I directed that just won an award at the Marina Del Rey Film Festival. We are in fact doing a screening next week in Cleveland, Ohio on Wednesday, July 6th. I'm going to link tickets in the bio below. So if you are a Cleveland-based listener or even, you know, Ohio and you want to make the trek, I'd love to see you. I would love to meet you. And there are still about 38 tickets left. So if you're interested, get on the train and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. 